building entire and just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast and a proud member of the JL May 2018 Podcast Crossover. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Sterling, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Congrats on getting that on the first take, Shag. Hey, you know what? Sometimes it's just the right moment. It happens. It happens. Folks, we are here to celebrate JL May. It's the third the third year of this, actually, third annual you know, cross podcast crossover. The first year we did uh, JLA Year One, which was awesome. Absolutely love that comic. It's one of my favorites. The next year we did uh, Justice by Alex Ross, which was a comic. Uh, <laughs> and now we are doing the Silver Age. Which is another comic. So, <laughs> straight motto, line down. <laughs> the motto here, the Firewater Podcast Network, though, is to find our joy. <laughs> so, folks, I am going to do everything I can to find my joy in this giant, oversized comic, which is Silver Age Secret Files and Origins. And I can find my joy in this comic on at least one or two pages. So, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Rob, how you been, buddy? I'm doing. I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like really selling it at the beginning, right, folks? We're up very late, folks. We're up very, very late. So we're a bit punchy, and we are uh, we are going to make our best effort to make a silk a purse out of a sow's ear. I mean, the fact is, the Silver Age crossover, folks, okay, so it came out in the year 2000, right? Now, some people seem to think it was a fifth-week event. It was not. No. For those of you who said that, you're completely wrong. Uh, it was a 12-issue series that was spread throughout the month of May 2000. And it basically was is an effort to celebrate the Silver Age of DC Comics, but sort of through the lens of a post-crisis universe. So they really tried to meld the, the sensibilities of and, and the time frame of the Silver Age with a lot of the modern age concepts and some modern age writers. And I'll, I'll straight up tell you, when I read it in the year 2000, I hated it. I, I loved Mark Wade. I loved a bunch of the artists on this thing. And I just thought, ugh. I was not a fan. So when our good friend Paul Hicks asked us to be part of this, I went, really? Um, and then when Paul Hicks found incriminating evidence on Rob, we had to do it. So, uh, so, but again, 
we uh, we have found some things to enjoy in it, and we're going to do our best. Now, before you listen to this episode, you should go back and listen to some other podcasters who actually enjoy it more <laughs> and enjoy their take on it. Uh, the thing, the whole thing kicks off with Injustice's First Dawn. Our buddy Mike Peacock covers Silver Age number one. You should definitely check that out. Then over on Shortbox Showcase, which is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, our buddy Professor Alan Quarterbin uh, tackles the challengers of the unknown from the Silver Age. Then on the Coffee and Comics Podcast, our buddies Clinton Robinson and Greg Arujo, they tackled Justice League of America from the Silver Age, which is a pretty controversial issue, and I thought they handled that very well with a lot of skill and tact. Uh, then over on the Supermates podcast with our good friends Chris and Cindy Franklin, which was, of course, hosted here on our own network, they recently covered the Teen Titans installment of the Silver Age. And then our buddy Diablo Frank, in his best style, <laughs> just recently on the Idle Head of Diablo, tore to shreds the dial um, – wasn't it the uh, – the, 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 what was it? Oh, it was Dial H for Hero. That's dial what it was. Dial H for Hero, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, – I salute you, Frank. That thing was a, that was a work of beauty, what you did there, buddy. Now, uh, at the time of recording this, there's still several installments to come out. They might beat us to the punch, so they may be already out. I'm not sure. But Longbox Crusade with our buddy Pat Sampson and the Albrick Boys and Delvin, they are going to be covering the Flash Silver Age installment. Waiting for Doom with Mike and Paul, who are the organizers of this event. Uh, and also where you can send your hate mail for that promo you've had to hear over and over and over. Uh, they did the Doom, they're going to do the Doom Patrol installment. The Lantern cast with Chad and Mark are going to do, not surprising, the Green Lantern installment. Then on Comics Reflections with our buddy Nicholas Prom, they're going to be covering the Brave and the Bold special, which I'm a little jealous about because that's written by Bob Haney. Oh my gosh, I bet that's amazing. Uh, and then finally it's going to be wrapped up on the Cosmic Treadmill podcast with Chris and Reggie, and they're going to cover Silver Age 80-page Giant. So please, support all these other podcasters. I know we're taking a real we're taking the mickey out of this thing we're, we're not being nice to this thing but you know what it's worth doing it's a fun activity and, and nothing else the podcasts are actually so far i've listened to all of them they're much more enjoyable than actually reading the comics so check out the podcast it's well worth it the supermates one was very good all of them have been actually you know I'm, okay i love you guys but i was kind of dreading listening to all these podcasts i was like oh, oh man oh you know i wait a minute i missed one stella Wow, I, I'm terribly sorry. Batgirl to Oracle. Are, are, <laughs> well, I was reading through the list and I got so excited. Anyway, about Frank. Anyway, our good friend Stella uh, from Batgirl to Oracle, she covered uh, the showcase issue, which included the Seven Soldiers of Victory. She did a great job there. So, um, And she, she didn't want to do this any more than we did. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but um, use our hashtag, which is PoundJLMay2018. Anything you want to say? To, to, did you read this when it came out? I read it, I, some of it. Uh, okay. I, I was I didn't I didn't get everyone like with most crossovers I picked the ones that I thought looked especially interesting uh, and got those. Okay, and did you uh, did you enjoy it? I think much like uh, the book that we're going to cover, I think this is a microcosm. It's hit or miss. I think there's okay. some stuff that's fun, some stuff that doesn't really work, some stuff that isn't very good. Uh, I do think it's a it is a weird, uh, not to borrow a phrase, amalgam. Of, of concepts that uh, don't always line up exactly. I think it is kind of the, the example of you can't go home again. I think it really is what this is about. But we'll, we'll, we'll discover that in this particular book, which, of course, doesn't fit in any particular – well, the main story fits in sort of a timeline, but the rest of it is kind of just a catch-all of different things. And then there is one page in this particular book that I absolutely love, but we'll get to that. Okay. I, I actually feel rather fortunate that we get to cover the secret files because whereas most other folks just had to do a one story, we actually, as you described, Rob, we get many little stories. Right. So while some aren't winners, we do get some that are winners. So I, I think we kind of got the best option out of a lot of this. 
This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Would you bring us a suggestion this time, Rob? Uh, I have a JLA Volume 7, written by Joe Kelly, Rick Veach, art by Doug Menke, and uh, Tom Noyan. I, I know, Rob uh, recommending something not from the 70s or 80s. What? Uh, but this was a collection of JLA numbers 77 through 93. And the reason I am uh, suggesting it, I've actually read these comics because I was buying JLA at the time. This features a Kendra Rowe storyline, uh, which I remember being was really, really fun. And Kendra Rowe appears in this comic, which was made me think of it. Um, this version of Kendra Rowe was, reminds me a lot of the Justice League International version of Despero, where they kind yeah. of took, okay. the ba- they took the basic concept and kind of like gritted him up a bit and made him kind of tougher and meaner and just, I think, did a lot with it. Like, it, they, did, they didn't rip up the character. They kind of, imp- you know, made him more current, which I liked. I thought it was actually a really good storyline. And there's a moment where Kendra Rowe insults Wonder Woman to her face, which is, uh, like, worth the price of admission alone. It's fantastic just for the faces that uh, Doug Monkey drew on all the JLA when Kendra Rowe mounts <laughs> off. It's, it's really great. It's 416 pages, which is uh, wow. huge. Normal price, twenty four ninety nine in stock. Trades price, $14.49, 42% off. So that's JLA. Volume 7. Do you have the issues that it collects by chance on that listed there? I, 77 through 93. I'm pretty sure Firestorm's in some of those. I so. think so, yeah. That's a, that was a good book. I really liked that that iteration of JLA. Yeah. Good. Well, it was right after Obsidian Age. And uh, it was sort of like the, yes. what was left what was that left of the league. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yep. All right. Well, I picked something a little on point with what we're covering today. It is called Justice League of America, the Silver Age trade paperback, volume one. Now, this is not a trade paperback of the stories we're covering. In fact, those have never been collected for some reason because they're not that good. Um, oh, yeah, like this that co- stops things from being collected. <laughs> That's true. They're collecting total chaos from the <laughs> Team Titans era of uh, – I love that era myself, but still, it's 90s craziness. Anyway, so this is Justice League of America, the Silver Age trade paperback, volume one. This is your starting point. If you want to read the classic JLA, the original – this is where to go, folks, because you get Brave and the Bold, 28 through 30, which is the Justice League of America's very first appearance. You get Justice League of America, number one through eight, and Mystery in Space, number 75. Of course, you know, you got, you got Gardner Fox, you got Mike Sikowski, you got Starro, Despero, Kinjar Rowe, Dr. Destiny, Amos Fortune, Felix Faust. You got your classic JLA members. This is this is the core of, of kind of what Mark Wade was trying to capture when he created this Silver Age crossover. Uh, it's 328 pages, full color. Normally retails for $19.99. Only $19.99 for that. That's amazing. But it gets even better. You get it for 42% off right now. Only $11.59. It actually makes me a little sick to my stomach knowing how much I paid for my Justice League collections over the years uh, to get the reprints of those early ones. Because I bought like the hardcovers, the $50 hardcovers. And I'm like, you can get them all for $11? Oh, my gosh. You know, wow. So definitely pick that up, folks. Especially if, if you enjoy this Silver Age crossover, you're going to love these Justice League comics. If you're not a big fan of the Silver Age crossover, this is the good stuff. So either way. <laughs> and it features a great cover by Michael Cho. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good point, good point. All right, folks. Well, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. So, okay, uh, again, I'm bashing on this thing pretty hard, folks. And it, it really was Mark Wade's love letter to the Silver Age. And I'm realizing now, as I get older, why this storyline probably didn't click with me. And part of it is, very recently, Rob, in, in our discussions doing the Digest cast and stuff, I've discovered I'm not really a big fan of the Silver Age of comics. Um, I always thought I was, but I'm realizing now I think I was more of a fan of the early Bronze Age. 
and not so much the early Silver Age. So a lot of the DC, especially the DC Silver Age stuff, which was really kind of um, whitewashed and, and, and not real deep, this doesn't really appeal to me that much. So I think that's part of my problem. Now, you love the classic Justice League stuff. You love those old Silver Age DC stuff, correct? I do. But, I mean, the Silver Age, when you when you use that as a term, covers a very broad spectrum of, of mm-hmm. approaches to comics. I mean, there's a huge difference between, as you mentioned, we discovered on Digestcast, like Avengers number 3 and Avengers number 57. They're both, right. they're both technically Silver Age, but they are miles apart in the approach. So it really all does depend on what kind of years you're talking about. I do prefer the later JLAs. Uh, if, if, if you're just talking about the Silver Age, mm-hmm. I definitely prefer the later ones to the early ones, because the early ones are just plot. They are ju- there's no characterization. Snapper cars in them, who I hate. And they're just, <laughs> it's just like, let's break the teams up. Let's, let's, let's everybody break up into teams, different chapters. We'll go to this planet, do this planet. But I still enjoy them anyway, and I think maybe when this crossover was was talking about the Silver Age, it's talking about a very specific part of the Silver Age, which is like basically like 59, 60, 61, 62 DC Comics, not 67, 68, 69, uh, right? So that kind of thing. So that that's kind of what it's it's going after. And 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 that's probably where my hang up is, and, and and it's probably where some of the other folks are having their issues too. But let, why don't we dive into this again? It's Silver Age, Secret Files, and Origins. So this is um, if you're not familiar with the Secret Files and Origins, they're actually really cool. Basically, what DC did, they did away with Who's Who, which was a crime in them of themselves. Uh, I think the guy who made the decision there did some time behind jail. But anyway, they they replaced them with these Secret Files and Origins, which is like a bit of a hybrid between a regular comic and a Who's Who, where you get a story and then you get what they call profile pages, which is gives you a lot of art like a who's who entry and it gives you sort of the 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 feel for the character and so it's it's a nice uh, halfway step you know from a who's who and uh, i i kind of love these because they would put them out for either different events or different books i mean there's a zillion of these things they really make fun reading especially if it's a character or a title you love it's it's kind of like you know where they were going with who's who in the legion you know and they wanted to do who's who in superman and who's who in green lantern eventually that concept became secret files and origins right. so all right, so we've got a cover here by Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson. Uh, it's got the bad guy, Agamemno, in the background. And then you've got Superman flying at you, Batman, and Black Canary uh, with her clothes falling off and her boobs yeah, popping seriously, out. Seriously, really, those boobs are making a run for it, man. Which is it's just not really very classic Silver Agey at all, and not even remotely representative of what's inside the comic. But you know what? Sex sells, folks, so that's why it's okay. Um, again, came out in May 2000 with a cover date of July, though, and this sucker was $4.95. Ouch. So, uh, what do you think of the cover? Uh, I think it's pretty good. I think a the Dodson's uh, a, a half like a half decent Dodson cover is still better than most other artists' like really decent cover. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Like so, I think it's it's not bad. It's not great. Uh, I like the colors a lot. I like the magenta. I think that's really nice, and I like the way Agamemno looks. I like the mm-hmm. upshot of there. So you know, not bad. Yeah, I like it. You know, if for for the year two thousand, I think the piece is fine. It just doesn't necessarily fit with what's inside. So right. yeah, all right, all right. Why don't we get into this? The, the first story, uh, the main bulk of this really is a story called the Silver Age, and it's uh it's about thirty pages. And Rob is going to take us through it. Right. Fun fact, though, uh, I have to say, uh, my uh, Microsoft uh, or whatever whatever my text uh, document is does not like the word Agamemno. It keeps insisting on changing it to Agamemnon. Just thought I'd put well, that out. That, there's good reasons for that. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, so yeah, the main story is called The Silver Age by D. Curtis Johnson, Mike Collins, Vince Russell, and Kurt Hathaway. 
Uh, Agamemno, having conquered a large chunk of the universe, desires a challenge. When one of his now-enslaved subjects tells him that the legendary Justice League will never bow down to him, Agamemno... I have to see it says Agamemnon right there. Agamemno searches them out. He consults Kanjar Ro, who he knows has tangled with the JLA in the past. Kanjar Ro thinks Agamemno is an arrogant fool, but humors the would-be universal universe conqueror. Later, the JLA are summoned via distress signal to a distant planet. There they run into Despero, who has laid a trap for the team. They defeat him relatively easily, and after they depart, we see that Agamemno was there the whole time, posing as a statue so he could spy on the team in action. To be continued. That's basically it. That's all. I mean, I'm leaving out some sort of individual details, but that's basically the thrust of this plot. And, and what it's really serving as is the setup for the entire rest of the Silver Age story. Because right. what ha- the, the Silver Age story takes place after this, where Agamemnon comes to Earth, he recruits a bunch of the supervillains of the superheroes, and they do this whole body swapping thing. So the majority of the other Silver Age crossovers are dealing with this whole body swap. You know, Batman being stuck in the body of Penguin versus Penguin running around in Batman's body. Or (laughs) there's one where Aquaman gets stuck in Black Manta's body. And Aquaman's excited because now he can go to Disneyland, which is because he won't run out of water. So we we didn't have to deal with the whole body swap thing because we get this story. So what do you think of the story? I think it's I think it's fine. I like that Kenjiro was in it. I like that Despero was in it. Um, Agamemno as a villain just didn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, I mean, the whole thing where he gets bored having conquered a world is very General Zod from Superman Two. You know, you're the ruler of all your survey, as I was yesterday and the day before. Uh, <laughs> he does get a very trenchant line right on the first page where he says how easy it was to defeat this simple world by turning the mountain dwellers against the city dwellers. Yeah. Um, so there, there's that, um, and I, I like the individual moments with the JLRs. Aquaman gets a brief little bit uh, with Adam, uh, which I always enjoy because they they established in the uh, original JLA series that they have kind of like a, a, a separate friendship even within the team because they're kind of like self-conscious about being so-called you know second stringers. There's a one-page sequence where we see all the different JLRs fighting their particular villains. Batman's fighting Penguin, Batman, Aquaman's Black Mana, Green Arrow's facing Felix Faust, uh, Adam and Kronos and stuff like that. So that's a that's a nice detail. I wish Agamemno had some more visual interest. Like he just looks like a big ugly metal man kind mm. of thing. So he does that doesn't do a whole lot for me. But I said anytime I get to see Kanjaro or Despero fighting the JLA, I'm, I'm into that. I think that's we see Batman and Robin. No, excuse me, Robin. We see Batman get suckered in by uh, the uh, the image of his dead parents, which is pretty. pretty Why creepy. did you say that name? Yeah, exactly. Which is a pretty creepy thing. Um, and the, this is the as you mentioned, like this is a, a mixture of Silver Age and modern comics, because of course in this Justice League, Wonder Woman is not a member; it's Black Canary. Uh, and I've never liked that. I've never cottoned that. I don't agree with that. That's not my JLA, but it's fine. I mean, that's just that's the the, the modern, uh, you know, that's the current iteration of the team. And no, no, it's not the current iteration. It's the well, former post-crisis version, post-crisis which is now version. gone. <laughs> yes. And I do like in the last panel where they've got Despero apprehended and Green the Lantern has, um, uh, he's like beams going over Despero's mouth and his third eye, which I think was a nice little detail. <laughs> Well, I like the art in general. I thought Mike Collins did a very nice job. Now, it's not evocative of Mike Sikowski or anything, but it is clean. It's fun. It's not overly extreme. You know, uh, so it, it makes for nice, uh, nice pieces. I enjoy. It. I, I, I think the art was probably my favorite thing in this piece. Uh, I also like the little, the fake ads. 
Uh, well, they weren't fake ads, but they would be ads for other installments in the Silver Age crossover, but they right. were done as like little half-page items. Right, DC Very, used to do half-page books. Exactly. And it has the old DC bullet there, you know, which is great. Um, yeah, overall, it was, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, it was okay. It's so. over before you know it. When I was doing the synopsis, I was like, oh, what? Oh, it's over already. Okay. <laughs> that was fast. Like, it just. And yet it was 30 pages. Quickly. Right, right. <laughs> it zips by. Crazy. All right. Well, why don't we move on? All right. Um, yeah. Uh, this is drawn by John Workman, who is, of course, more famous as a letterer. You've seen him in a lot of Walt Simons and stuff. But he actually does uh, draw. He drew the mirror listing in the original Who's Who. And his style is very old-fashioned looking. And here he's even channeling it even more, where it looks pretty close to what Sikowski and maybe like Joe Giella would have drawn. At the time, and it's got the original team again, including Black Canary, uh, and it may, gives them all gives uh, all their first appearances, which is kind of fun. Uh, it mentions we see Green Arrow and Aquaman have the first famous uh, same first appearance, of course. Um, it's very old school. I mean, the anatomy like nobody's over muscled. You know, everybody kind of looks like a 1950s strongman kind of anatomy. So it's well, a, it, it looks very, very, very Sikowski to me. Yeah. Workman is definitely dialing into the Sikowski part of it. So it's it's fun. I mean, I imagine if you were a modern comics fan, this is not going to do it for you. But I appreciated the throwbackiness of it. It's the two-page spread. This is your equivalent of a who's who page right, right here. Yeah. So and, and poor Flash is caught in the in the gutter there, and right. you only see parts of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then there, there is a listing right after that for the Secret Sanctuary. Uh, which gives you a cutaway of the de- of the of their of their meeting place, and I love this stuff. I mean, this is like again, this would have made a great Mego playset. You know, they could have all this. You see the communications array, and there's a hangar, and we see the aeroplane next to the bat plane, the computer mainframe, which is over over 60k of RAM. Uh, the township of Happy Harbor right outside. There's a library, a kitchen, a lounge, the meeting chamber, the trophy room. We see Starro hanging there, which I appreciate. There's an entrance, the water passage to the Atlantic for Aquaman. Showers, a laboratory, lockers, a workshop, a power plant. I, I, lo- I could look at all this stuff all day. I love all this stuff. Really didn't give a lot of room for the, uh, the jets to take off there, did they? No, I'm going to assume... That they have, uh, what is it, VTOL? I think vertical takeoff. Uh, okay. Take-off and All right. They, they can go straight up and then fly out. It's, I mean, it's cool. the bat. Look, as established in the Challenge of the Super Friends, the bat plane can go back in time. So what the hell? <laughs> That's fair. I was thinking like a really badass catapult. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. But that would either way works. All right. Up next, we get a fun page. Now, I mentioned earlier finding your joy, right? I find my joy, not so much in that, that first story we covered, but in a lot of these single uh, one-page vignettes, and this is one of them. This one's called Flash Facts, and it is done by – it's written by Brian Augustine uh, – or Augustine, sorry, and uh, it's drawn by Norm freaking Brayfogel. But you would never know it. Like If you told no, me this is Norm no. Brayfogel, I wouldn't know it But because he's tried to capture you know more of a classic art style here. And it's got Flash zooming in, and he's basically explaining uh, – it's it's doing science stuff, you know, the, the fun science stuff. He's, he's talking – I should point out it is Barry Allen. You know, he's sharing some cool science info about future technology, like bullet trains and the internet. And uh, I, I actually found online just recently, uh, someone has the script that Brian Augustine wrote, and then they've got like uh, Norm Brayfogel's uh, sketches, and then his final pencils and stuff like that. It's, it was really cool to see it all broken down, and, and it was it was it was this page right here. And uh, just anyway, super fun, and I, I love I love this kind of stuff. And it's just kind of funny because, like, you know, one day you'll be able to travel the earth in this thing called the Internet. You know, they're, ma- they're making fun of it, obviously, because the year 2000 all this existed. 
So, all right. Uh, then you get your, again, profile page. Again, essentially a who's who entry for The Flash. And this one is drawn by Carmen Infantino and Paul Neary. And it's got Barry uh, as The Flash running towards you. And then in the background, it's got just a face of Barry. Now, the, the art is fine. And again, keep in mind, this is Carmen Infantino in the year 2000. So you, you're really not going to criticize the man. Um, the only thing I would say I miss, though, is what Carmen was famous for, which was like all of those little uh, repeated flash images behind him you know he would do a, a, a streak and you see like 16 versions of flash in the streak i do kind of miss that yeah here the flash is on a brisk jog i would say yes that's fair to say yeah um and, and i'm not going to go through all the details here but you know it's, it gives you it's almost like a like a story bible really it tells you how he got his powers and kind of what he does with them and it's a it, rather than a who's who of like he did this and he did this it's more just kind of a snapshot of the character and i think it works great as kind of a this is what this character is about i like it uh up next uh, i'm sorry did you have any comments on that before i go forward oh uh, no no go ahead Okay. Uh, up next is Green Lantern Hal Jordan. At his profile page, art by Claude St. Aubin. I'm not familiar with this artist, but I love this page. I love it. Hal is, he's got this giant shit-eating grin. Uh, throw the explicit tag, whatever. He's holding the lantern. He's got his fist just coming way at you. You call that what, foreshortening? Is that what you say? Foreshortening. Very tough to yep. do. I was never able to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and he's got the fist, like, right in your face, you know? So the fist is f huge in the background. You see him in his, uh, you know, his uh, Ferris aircraft, you know, flight suit. You see planes. You see him meeting Abin Sur. You've got the whole sort of description again. Gives you his, you know, his height, his weight, all that just business, you know, in brightest day and blackest night. Gives you the whole bit about how, and it tells you about, uh, you know, he's out there, you know, the, the most powerful weapon and fueled by willpower and all that stuff. They don't talk about how cocky he is necessarily, but, you know, it's okay. I love the art here. What do you think of this one? I really like this, and I would say it's Claude St. Aubin, you said, is the, the artist? Well, yeah. I mean, that's how I, think I it's say it. I think it's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Wrong. Um, I actually think this piece captures the spirit of the Silver Age better than any of the other stuff in here. I think it has a kind of joie de vivre kind of feel to it without trying to replicate the style. I mean, this is Green Lantern's anatomy here. He's super ripped. So this is not an anatomy you ever would have seen in any Silver Age comic book. But yet, to me, the layout, I like the way that the power battery is popping into the, the text. Mm -hmm. um, I, like, oh, uh, yeah. I like the foreshortening. I like the background. It's got the, the, the lantern motifs. We see some insets of uh, Abin Sur giving Hal Jordan the ring and then him, him in his pilot uniform. To me, this feels very Silver Age. It doesn't look like Silver Age, but it, it, it has that... That, that feeling, to, I keep saying the word feeling, but that's, so to me, it's like Mr. Aubin here really got across what I think this whole Silver Age thing was supposed to be in just this one listing. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you vamped a little bit for me there because I just Googled him. And uh, it looks like he drew a lot of stuff through the 2000s, um, you know, worked on some Captain Canuck and worked on some Green Lanterns some James Bond, some Jurassic Park stuff, um, a, lot, a wide variety, but I'm not really seeing him. Um, well, here's something called the Victorian that he drew a lot of issues of, but I'm not familiar with that is. So, I, you know, oh, he drew a bunch of issues of Rebels. There we go. Okay, uh, so maybe that's you know, Rebels was a DC comic. You probably never heard of it, but uh, <laughs> it's an acronym. It's, it's, I am it's aware the, of Rebels. Okay, all right. So, uh, but yeah, wow, I, I'm gonna seek out this guy because I really he does some more stuff in here too that I, I enjoy. So, yeah, okay, I think this is a great piece. Love it. So, uh, all right, moving on. Now we get to something that this was sort of a hallmark of a lot of the secret files, at least the earlier ones. They would do these things called lost pages. And what they were, they were supposed to be a story that they weren't trying to lie to you. They weren't telling you this story legitimately was lost in a drawer and they're finally doing it. But they would basically say these were, this was a story that took place in the past. And, you know, it's a story you never got to see. Uh, this one With is called. Good reason. 
This one is <laughs> this one is called the Moonshine Encounter. It's by Jason Hernandez Roseblatt. Uh, it's drawn by Christopher Jones, who, by the way, draws some cool Doctor Who stuff now, and Walden Wong. And it's a, basically it's five pages of a tale that's supposed to be the first meeting between the Creeper and Hawk and Dove. It involves some Soviet spies and some Red Scares, uh, some jokes with that, and it is really, really, really quite forgettable to the point where I read it. I went to go write the synopsis, and I'm like, holy crap, I don't remember the first thing about it. I had to reread it immediately so I could do it again. Uh, it's it, the, Honestly, the only thing that, that, that makes this thing noteworthy to me is Christopher Jones is the artist. Um, and even then, it was early days for him. But really, it's just the meeting of these set of characters that are all created by Steve Ditko. That's really the, the, the interesting thing here. Beyond that, uh, it's kind of skip it. <laughs> what would you think, buddy? I, I think you calling it forgettable is very kind. I think this is got awful uh it's got a line it means hawk and dove are needed no nothing ever means that uh if your conclusion is hawk and dove are needed you've drawn the wrong conclusions my my issue with this is uh and this is not even really the fault of of uh, this particular writer jason hernandez uh, rosenblatt it's that at some point before this and we all remember this that they decided to really push hawk and dove into like conservative liberal not just yep. not just you know like you know violent and peaceful but like political they push that into the politics and some writers that aren't good at subtlety just took those tropes and just jammed them you know floored it and so to me these the, the dialogue in here just does not fit and it's just so weird and strange because it turns dove into just such a wishy-washy and then the final panel where Creeper's like, don't tell me the Bluebird's a pinko, and Hawk is like, worse, he's a liberal. I'm like, what, it's Sean Hannity in, in this costume? Like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, The Killing Joke, where we know what happens to Barbara Gordon. Now, like, that's, I, well, I mean, there are people who feel differently, but I feel like that that moment is relatively sensitively handled, but then other writers took it and just didn't handle it with that same level. And so it's almost like, I wish they'd never done it in the first place. And so I actually don't have anything against Hawk and Dove until they reach this iteration, where to me, I'm like, they're, to me, they're just awful. So I would have preferred just a Creeper story. I don't need <laughs> Hawk and Dove in this at all. And I don't know that I set it up to say this is supposed to be like the 1960s. So this is Hank right. and Don. Right. So I yeah. not Dawn, but Don. Yeah. So I didn't right. specify for that. And part of like they make a McCarthy joke in here. Right. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. This is the 60s. What? McCarthy's not even a going concerned by that. Right. Yeah. But, he was gone. Yeah. This was that. Yeah. 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 It's just. So, yeah. We have spent more time on it than indeed. Yeah, let's let's, go, let's some, go to the metal man. Because I've got some joy in the next page, folks. There you go. <laughs> I found my joy in this one quite a bit. It's a metal men page. Woo! Love the metal men. They. Oh, I, did you know how much I love the metal men? I love the metal men so freaking much. I know much. you do. I know you wanted. Okay. Did you wanted half the team to join the Justice League? I did. I really did. Um, so Metal Men Facts and Fancies is what it's called. It's by Brian Augustin, uh, and it's drawn by Kevin McGuire. It doesn't hurt. It does not hurt that you From like JLI, it. Yeah. JLI fame. And David um, Mikis, I guess, is the inker. It's a one-page thing, but it's one of these fun science facts. You know, Again, kids' comics were like this in the old days. You get science facts. So this one is uh, fun facts about properties of various metals. Uh, unusual ones, they talk about like osm osmium and tantalum. I don't even know what those are. Uh, but they also talk about how mercury is actually silver and not red. The red is coloring they put in it with alcohol so you can see it easier. Talk about the, uh, the, the top of the Washington monuments actually covered with aluminum. I didn't know that. Which was more expensive than gold back in the 1800s when the monument was built. Look at that. I learned something today. 
So uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Kevin McGuire, this is year 2000. Kevin McGuire would later go on to draw the Metal Men as backup features in 2009 in the Doom Patrol comic, which are amazing, by the way. Those are super fun. And my only criticism of this uh, is that a couple of the characters are a little bit off-model to me. Specifically, Tin, who looks a little too sort of like confident and ripped and muscular uh, and, and, and doesn't have scoliosis or whatever. And uh, the other would be Platinum. While she's smoking hot, that doesn't really – Platinum's supposed to be kind of girl next door. You know, this one's more like – porn star kind of platinum you know so uh those are the only two things i would criticize on it but you know what they're not that's that's super minor nitpicky what do you think of this page oh it's a lot of fun i i uh, i do like it's kind of weird when platinum is in the form of the helicopter it looks like something <laughs> out of pixar's cars <laughs> it's true yeah it does <laughs> no it's good it's great i mean if there's anything better than kevin mcguire drawing the metal men uh, it would be what's on the very next page. That would be Ty Templeton drawing the Metal Man. There you go. <laughs> For the Who's Who entry. Or, I'm sorry, the profile page. So it, it covers, it's, it's, in this, now Platinum looks completely on point to me here, and so does Tin. That's what those two characters should look like. So it's a fantastic page uh, by Ty Templeton about the Metal Man. Talks about their first appearance and sort of talks about their their history. Now, this, now if you know anything about Metal Man, their history gets rewritten every couple years. The way Magnus developed the Metal Man has changed constantly. So at this point in history, uh, the the metal men are actually made up of these colleagues and bystanders that were killed during one of Doc Magnus's experiments, and then uh, their minds live on in the respondometers as the metal men. So again, it changes every few years. So I don't even remember which iteration of the metal men this version is, but uh, it's it's a great drawing by Ty Templeton. I mean, Mercury is stretching, gold looks exactly like he should. You know, iron is huge, lead is huge, platinum is you know is is fawning over Doc Magnus. He's got his pipe. He looks like um, what is it the the Church of the Subgenius Bob? I was gonna uh, say he looks like the dad from the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, all of it's the same kind of 1950s yeah. ideal, yeah. And then tins like little tiny, little scrawny. It's oh, Great I piece. absolutely love this thing. Yeah. The, the only other, if I got to mention uh, Metal Men again, there there was an amazing Metal Men uh, story drawn by uh, Duncan Rulu, I think is how you say it, who went on to be part of Band of Action. Uh, I got those were. I wish I could write. I think it was a miniseries. Those were amazing too. Oh, oh by I, the way, nice detail that they're bursting out of the periodic table. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't notice that earlier, but I forgot to mention it. Ah, that's fantastic. All right. Uh, up next, we get into Summoning the Silver Age. So, Rob, what do you tell us about this segment? Uh, yeah, this is a behind-the-scenes thing where we see some of the original sketches from Carmen Infantino and from Nick Carty, Jim Mooney, talking about the covers that were drawn uh, for this series, and then the one by Ty Templeton. I think maybe this feature goes on like a little much, like it's a little too text heavy. Like it, it, I liked this behind the scenes stuff, but even I was a little like, I don't know if we need all this detail. But it was nice. It was it it, it was great that they brought these old guys back and gave them a chance to strut their stuff again. So it was nice to see their formative process. So I appreciate the the, the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, it was it was neat. I mean, you see the the as uh, Chris and Cindy talked about in Supermates, the Teen Titans book has is a cover combo of Nick Cardi and Dave. Gibbons. I mean, what a combination that is. Right. You know, so no, I, I dig it. And then we see again the original JLA cover and then the one by Ty Temple. So it's nice, nice little detail. And I liked it. Chris, you know, Chris and Cindy also mentioned about how they uh, they had to change Wonder Girl's costumes. So you can see in the sketch versus the final one was really cleverly done. Um, and then the, there's the whole thing about Gil Kane, too, because Gil Kane passed away 
like right after drawing this cover, if I remember reading this right. So um, this yes, is like in one among, of the last. Yeah, pieces. yeah, it says yeah, it's among his last. final works. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and now, as the non-artist on, on the call here, I really enjoyed these pages. I, I didn't get. Uh, I didn't feel like it was too long at all. I, I was fascinated by it. So I just thought the text. And I, and I, I, the, I like. I would like I to see the Silver Age. <laughs> well, I, I guess what I mean is I would have preferred the text to be bigger. I mean the the images to be bigger and a little less text. Uh, That's all. Okay. That's all I meant. I, I found it fascinating. So okay. Uh, up next is another profile page for the Challengers of the Unknown. Oh, the absolutely coolest group that nobody can get right. Um, and this the, it's drawn here by. Uh, it, and if you're going to get anyone to do Challengers of the Unknown, these are the guys to do it. Tom Grummet and Carl Kiesel. Uh, just these guys knock it out of the park. Now they are wearing their original, uh, or if it wasn't original, it was early days. Their yellow short sleeve outfits, which look a little kooky, but that is what the the that is a legit costume from the Challengers. And, you know, if you don't know this group, folks, the concept is freaking awesome. Four guys who um, – here it is, four men living on borrowed time. You know, they should have died, but they didn't. You got one who's like, you know, a famous rock climber. You got another one who's a boxer or a wrestler. I mean, you got a deep-sea diver. You got a, a daredevil showman. You got, you know, these these guys who have all the – scientists. You got these special skills, and they work together, and they, they fight. They're like the Fantastic Four without powers, really. It's such a great idea, and no one has been able to make it work in many, 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 many years. So um, – it's a shame. I know DC's got a book out now, or they just did call Challengers, I want to say. But it was uh, just kind of reinvention of the concept. I, I haven't heard any buzz on it, so it must not be doing too great. If you know, please write in. Let us know. Uh, but I love the Challengers. I tried to read some recently, uh, and I realized, because I have the Essential, it's not really, or the, the Showcase, it's not black and white. It's not really the way to read this, because their hair color kind of tells you who they are. <laughs> so I, I need to get my hands on some color uh, reprints, I think. Do you got any history with the Challengers? Uh, a little bit. I, I liked some of their stories. I, they had a 70s comic, which I enjoyed, and then they had a brief run in the Adventure Comics Digest that actually featured an all-new Challenger story, which I uh, maybe was, I guess, commissioned for some other book, and then they burned it off in Adventure hmm. Comics Digest. But it's um, drawn by Alex Toth, hmm. uh, which is uh, pretty amazing. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, was, I, I was a fan of that. I thought that was cool. Um, I like this drawing a lot. I've talked about much like Tom Grummet. Can't stand the coloring. I hate all this mottled coloring. To me, it just makes it look ugly. Just do flat coloring. There would have been nothing wrong. This drawing does not need all that shading. I just think well, it would have been done, would have been fine flat. Keep in mind, this is the year 2000. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everyone has finally got their digital computers yep, coloring. Yep, and yep. so they're they're overdoing it at this point. DC's so like, we paid for these Photoshop licenses, we're using them. And it's yellow. Nothing works well with yellow anyway. So yellow is a really harsh color to, to, to read. Now, but I should have mentioned, part of the reason these guys are so cool is they were designed by Jack Kirby. I mean, that's really, the man knows how to do adventure comics. And that's a, because they're Kirby creations, that's why Grumman and Kiesel are the perfect ones to do it. So. And actually, if you if you want, you could check out uh, uh, if you want to read Grummet and Kiesel doing as close to this as possible. Check out Section Zero, which is a comic that they put on Kickstarter. I kickstarted it, uh, and they should be wrapping it up fairly soon and sending it out. So I'm sure it'll be available to buy as well. Uh, it looks amazing, and it's a, it looks like it's got a sort of a similar vibe. So awesome. I do want to mention just before we get off this, um, in one of the Bizarro comics books that DC put out, you know those those. Like indie-driven hardcovers, yeah. Uh, they Ty Temple did a one-page Challenge of the Unknown parody, where they mm. were like Challengers of the Known, and mm. it was like the four of them doing really b- 
tedious tasks, it's hilarious. It's like them, <laughs> them filling out insurance forms and stuff oh, like that. Oh, that's hysterical. It's that's a funny. rip. It's one of the best things in those books, and I love those books. And by the way, if you're a fan of one of the many, many iterations of Challengers of, of the Unknown they've tried, because they've done it a million times. I mean, Tim Sale and, and Jeff Loeb did some. They did some of the new, even in the New 52. If you're one of the, if you're a fan of one of the subsequent uh, versions of Challengers, I apologize. It's just, it's it, none of the subsequent ones have really taken for me. So, all right, up next. Oh, this one's my turn, isn't it? Uh, it's Dial H for Hero, folks. You're here. <laughs> uh, art by Jim Mooney and David um, Mikis. And again, this is a essentially a who's who entry as a profile page. And this demonstrates why the Dial H for Hero concept is strong in an execution. It sucks. Um, I don't like Dial H for Hero, guys. So I'm going to keep this real short. Idea is Robbie Reed, Saka, was it Saka, Saka Maji? Oh my gosh. He says that all the time. He, fa- he he fell into a cave. He found this alien dial. Yeah, they retconned it to say it was Interlac. It's got it's a phone dial. You dial H E R O, and he randomly turns into a superhero. Super fun concept. I have read a handful of these stories, and the execution is always piss poor. Uh, the aliens or the or the the hero, the whatever you want to call them, he turns into are just completely forgettable. I mean, look at the the Jim Mooney drawing in the background; these characters. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, if you really want to hear Dial H for Hero torn to shreds, listen to Frank's episode on Idle Head of Diablo he, uh, of the JLMA crossover. He did a wonderful job tearing this apart. So I'm just going to move on here to the story, which immediately follows. This is by the same folks here, folks. Uh, you get the Secret Life. I'm sorry, the Secret of the H dial by Mark Wade, Jim Mooney, and George Freeman. Obviously, Mark Wade must love it because you know this is like the only his only contribution to this book. And it basically tells the story of what you just exactly read in the profile page right before it on Who's Who, so you're getting a complete repeat of that. And it's a news article for the local school newspaper uh, by um, Susie, uh, Susie Shoemaker, Susan Shoemaker. And she's basically revealing the secret of Robbie Reed and the Dial H for Hero dial. And he's like, oh, you can't publish this. And she basically says, but, uh, you know, well, okay, I won't publish it if you let me continue adventuring with her, with, with you, because she had used the dial once before. He basically recaps his origin, which we already knew because we just read the profile page, and you find out how she's really sad to be in this town because she feels like nothing ever changes in this town. At the last minute, you know, a disaster occurs, and he says, tell you what, come on, we'll both dial the dial, and we'll go save people together. And she turns into classic Silver Age Supergirl, and he turns into classic Silver Age Tommy Tomorrow, and they fly off to go stop the uh, oil spill or whatever the hell it is, and I don't really care. What do you think of this one, buddy? Uh, let's just move on. Okay. Uh, although that that sound you hear is Ange now looking for this book in a back issue bin. The Supergirl's it. in it. Supergirl, yeah. <laughs> All right. You're up, Bob. With um, um, I called you Bob, but anyway, um, okay. with the Injustice League entry. Yeah, we have a page for the Injustice League, uh, which is Lex Luthor, Penguin, Catwoman, Mister Element, Black Mana, Doctor Light, Sinestro, Kronos, and Felix Faust. Uh, I love uh, that they're all scowling, except for the two characters who are wearing masks. But the, the way um, Mr. Element is drawn, he looks like he's frowning, which I kind of like. Um, <laughs> and then Black Manta, you just have to guess that he's frowning, which you assume that he is. It's penciled, of course, by Kevin McGuire, because if you need good facial you know, uh, gestures, that's the guy you get. So uh, yeah, it's a fun team. You know, I mean, it's Catwoman in kind of her um, Batman the Animated Series style costume, I would say. Or maybe the like combo the Jim Ballant one. I, we can't see her boobs exactly, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's it's fun. It's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a gloss on the Justice League number one cover, which was done 40 billion times. 
Um, but that's a good team. I mean, it's all the, you know, it's like kind of the, I was about to say heavy hitters. Any team with Dr. Light, Mr. Element is probably not heavy hitters, but it's close. <laughs> you know, you've got Felix Faust and Sinestro and Catwoman. That's a big deal. Well, this is the team of villains that does the body swap. So right. in all the other Silver Age comics with the body swap, these are the people that are swapped. So in every single entry, everyone has gone, really? Mr. Element is the Flash's bad guy in this? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's probably because he's the only one that uh, Jeff Johns hadn't turned into like a, a, a cocaine you know, snorting or family murdering horrible bad guy. But um, you're right. It is absolutely an homage to Kevin McGuire's Justice League number one or Justice League International, whatever you want to call it. All it's missing is where Lex Luthor is standing right there in the center is Lex Luthor going, want to make something of it? Right. His arms folded. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be perfect. So, yep. Uh, Doom Patrol. Yeah. Next up is a listing of the the Doom Patrol, of course. And we see the chief talking into, I guess he's got a microphone there installed in his wheelchair. I don't know. Uh, And he's uh, relaying orders to the Justice Justice League, excuse me, the Doom Patrol. And we see them fighting General Immortus and uh, whatever. Uh, It's it's an okay drawing. I actually really liked Doom Patrol, despite the podcast, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's by um, Ramona Fraden and Dave, and Dave Gibbons, and I don't see either one of them in this drawing. I really don't. I mean, I think this is not a great drawing, and I love both those artists, so I, I don't know. I'm not seeing that here. Um, um, I would say I'm seeing Dave's super clean inking. I mean, if you if you if you ignore the colors and you just look at the line work, and you know, even on like on the pants of of Negative Man, and you look at the line work on Robot Man, I mean, the line work is really or the inking is really clean. So I see that Dave Gibbons in there, Ramona Fraden. I don't think I know enough about her outside of Aquaman to tell you whether I see it. I, in I see it a little bit in the Chief's profile. It's just I don't know when it, if somebody told me, hey, there's a drawing by Ramona Fraden and Dave Gibbons, you go, oh my god, that's going to be. A beauty to behold, and this is just fine. This is just there's nothing wrong with it. It's just fine. But when you realize it's these two powerhouses combined, uh, it just doesn't. It's less than the sum of its parts. And by the way, you forgot to mention, it's not Doom Patrol. It is live action television's Doom Patrol. That's right. Amazing, huh? Crazy. I mean, Mike and Mike and Paul go to sleep for the night and wake up to that. I mean, my gosh. They have to change the name of the show. I, they're no longer waiting. They're tripping over Doom yeah, is what it should be really, called now. God, more Doom really can take a stick at, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, well, next up is my favorite thing of the book, <laughs> which is <laughs> the one page by Ty Templeton of Super Turtle, and he's taking on the evil scientist known as Brainiac. Um, <laughs> I just love everything about this. We see that uh, Super Turtle uh, has uh, keeping uh, the bottle city of Kandor alive with fish food. Uh, back in his uh, igloo, his uh, shell of solitude. And I, I love everything about this. Now, there is another Super Turtle page in another one of the Silver Age books. I think it's the Secret Origins book. That, oh. one, that one's actually my favorite because it's, it's got a joke that makes me actually laugh out loud every time I read it. But I love this one, too. I love that when he drops Brainiac on the uh, street corner, the sound effect is plop. And he's dropping him in front of Cap's Hobby Center, which is another reference to these little updates DC loved to do. I could have read a whole book of Super Turtle by Ty Templeton if they had done that. I know they never would have done it, but I would have loved it if they had. I just, I eat this stuff up. I think this is just so fun. Now, he signed it Brian Templetoff. I don't get what that means. Okay. I, I wasn't sure either. I was hoping yeah. you would. <laughs> I would assume it's a nod to whoever, like, uh, did, did um, I'd have to turn back to the first page here. Did, um... Did Brian Augustine write this, or did Templeton write it? 
Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to vamp while I script back. It says, oh, it says Brian Augustine and Art Ty Templeton. So there you go. They were just combining their names. They were doing a And little... then the Toff, that maybe that's in a reference to whoever used to draw the... the, the uh, it was super... Mary Boltonoff used to do Oh, these. okay. So there, there you go. go. It's a portmanteau, I guess. So that sort of thing. So, yeah, very I cool. I like it. It's, I, I, I think just, it's just so fun. <laughs> I just think it's great. All right. Up next is the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And before I hand it off to Rob, I, I once again have to apologize to Stella for forgetting to mention her wonderful podcast, her episode uh, when I was doing the, the the initial rattling off of everyone part of the podcast uh, crossover because she did a, she covered the Seven Soldiers of Victory, and I thought she did an excellent job. So, Rob, what do you tell them about this incarnation of the Seven now, Soldiers? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I remember this series being out, but I didn't read it, and I don't know. Like I'm looking at this team. It's drawn by Dick Giordano, which is always mm -hmm. fun. Um, I'm kind of surprised I didn't pick this up because I like a lot of these characters. I mean, Batgirl, Deadman, Adam Strange, Blackhawk, Metamorpho. Like, I like all those characters. Whether they fit together as a team, I have no idea. Uh, well, and I, and it, I only, it only existed for that one Silver Age issue. This wasn't a series of their own. It was only well, right. in that no, Silver no, Age. I know that. Yeah, I th okay. but wasn't in a miniseries? Or was it just one, was it the one Not show? with this group, at least. Okay. All right. Well, then, back. no wonder I missed it. And I only had really one chance. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious as to how they all work together as a team. I actually really like the Seven Children's Victory, the original team. Um, I like them even more ever since I've begun to imagine that Aquaman, the Golden Age Aquaman, would have fit in really well in there. But I mean, I don't know. I'm intrigued by this is like a bunch of fun characters that I like all thrown together. So I don't know. Maybe this is worth hunting down. I have to say, Ramona Frey, or, no, I'm sorry, uh, not Ramona, uh, Dick Giordano did a great job emulating uh, artists because you get uh, a, a metamorpho, to me, looks a little Ramona Freyden ish. Um, uh, and you get Dead Man, who looks in the face a little Neil Adams-ish, and I just feel like he did a really good job, sort of emulating their their classic artists there. It's a nice design too. They're in the seven and they're flying around. So yeah, it's cool. I get it. I whether this whether these this hangs together, I'd have no idea. But I, I like most of these characters. Well, you should listen to the background Oracle coverage, and you'll find out. Maybe I should. All right. Up next is Teen Titans. <laughs> That's so catchy. That thing. I swear to God. Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris and Cindy ran that on the back of the episode. Like, Man, this is I, – I, I was never, like, a huge fan of the show. I didn't think against it, but that theme is killer. But anyway, yes, it's the classic uh, – classic – uh, teen Titans list. I love that the uh, the listing starts with "dig this crazy teen scene." Uh, very Bob <laughs> Haney speak, and we see the Teen Titans. We see Speedy, Aqualad, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, and Robin all uh, coming out of the screen. It's drawn by Nick Cardi. It it doesn't mention an inker. I have to think somebody inked it. This doesn't look like to me Nick Cardi inking himself, but you know, style might have changed a little. But it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's the Teen Titans as 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 how they looked. At the time, so it's uh, fun stuff. I wonder if they had to change the Wonder Girl costume again here, because normally Wonder Girl has a ponytail. You know, right, back in, yeah. in with this costume, she would have a ponytail. So having her hair down, I suspect Nick Cardi probably drew the red outfit with the stars again. Maybe so. Nope. Maybe so. But Aqualad, he's got the center stage there. Look yeah, it's good. Yeah, they're coming out of the water. He's, I mean, of course, Nick Cardi drew Aquaman for many years, so I mean, he probably, he probably has a little more of a uh, uh, you know an affection for the Aqua characters. Sure. Did them for yep. so long. So, up next we get another one of the places I find my joy, which is Metamorphose Chemical Curiosities. <laughs> I love this page so much. Uh, it's by Brian Augustin, uh, Ramona Freighton, and Carl Kessel. Ah, oh, 
So good. I've said his name, his last name, like three, three different ways in this podcast alone. Um, so Metamorpho talks about chemical elements and facts about them. Because remember, when Metamorpho first started, his uh, ability to shape change was limited to the chemicals and substances found in the human body. So he gives an example of how he can turn into water by combining hydrogen and oxygen to make water. And he washes away criminals. And then he talks about he makes these bars to hold a uh, copperhead. And uh, he talks about how he does it with magnesium and zinc and copper and chromide. And then he makes this glass jar to hold uh, the shark. And he does it by using silicon and, and all this stuff. And he even makes salt water to keep uh, the shark from dying of, uh, you know, uh, of lack of, of water. And then at the end, he's like, you know, and that's barely scratching the surface of the human body is a veritable chemical factory. So take good care of yours. I mean, it's, it's so – perfect for what you would expect to see in one of these educational, fun superhero comics. And Ramona Faden's uh, art history is gorgeous. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, I think, I'm guessing, because it doesn't mention an anchor that she inked herself here. And no, this... no, no, I, I said it's Carl Kiesel, remember? Oh, you did. I'm sorry. I missed that. Yep. Time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess he, I don't know, he was able to, to do something with it that Dave Gibbons was not. That seems unlikely. But to me, this is totally recognizable as Ramona Faden. I mean, this looks like the Metamorpho comic of the '60s, which she drew. So I think this is this is just terrific. I love the wave, like the the wave that's uh, the washing the criminals away. I just think it looks the, just the detail of the sea foam and everything. Oh, it looks gorgeous. Now, to me, this doesn't look exactly like that because, like, when we read first issue special, that was pretty much a humor comic. You know, right. and, and this isn't, and so it does feel like a um, an attempt to be a little more serious with Metamorpho than what the, you would have seen during this time period. But I, it still it works. It's glorious. I love yeah, it. I love it. All right. Up next is a, a who's who entry or a profile for Agamemno. 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 Now he looks different here than he does in the main story. In the main story, he looks like one of the metal men, but here he's got his actually sort of like a costume, but it's drawn by the Dotsons, like the cover. Uh, it, uh, it's not bad, you know. I mean, it, it would be world, would be universe conqueror, of course. Uh, and he talks about that. Uh, it, it says, unfortunately for the tyrannical. Uh, he says he, he talks about that he wants to realize his goals of universal dominion. Unfortunately for the tyrannical Agamemno, the Justice League of America might have something to say about that. So this was this was specifically written for this book in that it doesn't reveal what is going to eventually happen a couple issues down the line. Yep. And now the reason he looks different, by the way, is because what he does is he, he builds bodies for himself out of local materials. So when he looked like one of the metal men, he had built a body for himself out of metal. Because in that same story, he later builds a body for himself out of water. You know, uh, so he, he so here it's either his real form or he built it out of I don't know pieces, parts of people. I don't know which. Hmm. Uh, and then the last entry we get is the cosmic treadmill. It's sort of like a profile page. Um, I I I um, so so it's not exactly set up that way, but still it, it gives you the diagram of the of the the treadmill. It shows you like the, a top view of the running service, a side view. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It gives you all these different schematics. And this, by the way, is also drawn by Claude's uh, Claude Saint Aubin. And you got Barry running on there, and he just talks about how the treadmill and how it's positive. You know, with with powered with positive radiation and all stuff, and how you go forward in time and backward in time and all. That. It's cute. It's 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 very fitting, and is the kind of thing you would see in a who's who type entry. So yep. Um, Probably not the best way to go out. You know, you could have gone out maybe it's on Agamemnon. It's kind of a low-key note, yeah. Yeah. Agamemnon might have made more sense to go out on, I think, just because he's the big bad. But anyway. This looks so like, the, to me, this looks like the back of the package uh, for the Cosmic Treadmill playset that was never made. <laughs> so that's it. So, uh, Rob, would, would a comic like this motivate you to pick up the rest of the Silver Age crossover? 
Well, it didn't uh, <laughs> at the time, so no, I guess the answer to that is no. No, I, I like that they're in there pitching. I mean, there, there's so much stuff in here, uh, and it's again, it's very hit or miss. Uh, I, some of the stuff that I like, I like quite a bit. The Super Turtle, I think, is just great, and the Metamorpho bit is great, and the Metal Men bit is great. I maybe almost would have preferred a whole book of that stuff instead of trying to do this crossover story. But of course, you know, that's what people, comics readers were into at the time. So, um, but no, I mean, some of it's fine, some of it's okay, and some of it's pretty, ugh, like that Hawk and Dog <laughs> story. But I mean, that's, that's, that tends to be what happens with these crossovers. You know, it's, I don't think you're ever going to get like Crisis, which to me was very, or Legends, which was very consistent, I would say, across. Uh, all of its uh, crossovers are at least the main story here. It's it's just kind of bits here and there, but but some of the stuff is really pretty fun. You know, in hindsight, I think I'm going to get on Paul and Mike's case because they just could have covered this stupid thing on their DC OCD cross uh, you know show <laughs> instead of making us do this stuff. <laughs> But, folks, again, remember, this is a big crossover with uh, 12 different podcasts involved. And, honestly, we've been bagging on this thing. But, like I said, listening to the podcast is actually much more enjoyable than ever reading these comics. So, please, go out there and support our friends. Again, check out Justice's First Dawn, Short, Short Box Showcase over on the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Coffee and Comics, Supermates, Batgirl to Oracle, Idlehead of Diablo, The Long Box Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Lantern Cast, Comic Reflections, and Cosmic Treadmill. And be sure to go out on the social medias, use the hashtag pound um, JLMay2018 so you can follow along. Some people are, are just using the hashtag JLMay. Check both of them see, you know, and check out all the different posts out there. Lots of fun. Lots of our friends involved. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a fun exercise. And we will be sure for JLMay next year, we don't let Paul pick the topic. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it. Um, and so head over to those other podcasts, folks. Rob, do you want to tell folks where they can find a couple of pages from this uh, from this comic? Go to our network site, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and we'll have an accompanying gallery post. We'll show images from this book. Yep. Go up to the show tab and look for the Aquaman and Firestorm Firewater Podcast, and that's where you'll find them, folks. I guess that's going to do it. So uh, hit us up on the social medias. You know, on Twitter, it's FW Podcasts. On Facebook, it's, F- it's Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can find Rob under every other total handle out there. Uh, you can find me under Firestorm Fan, and yeah, there's just a couple of different places. Either way, find us on the internet, leave us some notes, let us know what you think, and uh, I think that's going to do it. All right. Until next time, fan the flame. It looks like Hawk and Dove are needed. <laughs> That's never true. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in Super friends forever. Yeah. Then you are. They call me Gold. He's our team leader. I'm Iron. And I'm uh, uh oh. Lead, sweetie. Yeah, lead. Thanks, Platinum. I'm Mercury. What's it to you? And I'm. Uh, just ten. Not to be rude, but, uh... We know. 
Chemo must be stopped. I'll draw his fire. You hit him with everything you've got. Sounds like an ironclad plan. Uh, maybe a soft metal like me ought to sit this one out. Every hero has a part to play.